Well, hello, everyone. Mark Harrington here, your radio activist, and thanks for tuning into the program. And you can pick us up on all the popular podcasting platforms and all the social media websites. We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, and I'm the founder and president of Created Equal, and we take uh, young people to college campuses across America to debate abortion. As you all know, we're fighting this fight here in Ohio where the uh, pro-abortion advocates are trying to put on the ballot in November a constitutional amendment that would expand abortion up to the very moment of birth. We're going to be talking about that later in the program. But first, we're going to be interviewing uh, author Stephen Wolf, who is the author of the book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. And you might wonder, well, Mark, why would you be talking about Christian nationalism on your program uh, when we namely talk, we normally talk about the abortion issue? Well, here's why, because I think theology matters. That's why. And, uh, you know, I was given this book or at least uh, encouraged to read it by my son, Dylan. Uh, and I picked it up and read it and then uh our church did a three-part series on Christian nationalism, and it's been in the news, I guess, as far as it goes, within uh, the the realm of Christendom. And there's been a lot of debate about it. And at the heart of that debate is Stephen Wolf, who's the author. And so I thought I'd ask him to come on the program, and he was gracious enough to take me up on that. Stephen, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So you're you're kind of wrapped up in this controversy. I don't think there should be one, honestly. <laughs> when I ask people, are you a Christian nationalist? They go, well, I'm not a secular nationalist. <laughs> I'm not a pagan nationalist, right? I mean, it seems pretty obvious that we're Christian nationalists. But for some reason, this term Christian nationalism comes with some baggage. And I know in the, in, in the book, you talk about uh, whether you should use the term or not. And then you came around to decide that, yeah, I think this is the, the right way to describe my position. But when I say Christian nationalism to people, they get the wrong impression. Uh, so well, I, let's start there. Let's yeah. start there. Uh, how would you define it? Now, I know in your book you have a great definition. I'm not going to read it, but uh, there seems to be a lot of misunderstanding and confusion as to what Christian nationalism is. I think a lot of people have different uh, definitions, if you will. And I thought to myself, well, let's let the people that are promoting it and uh, the ones that are writing the books about it to define it. So how would you define Christian nationalism? Yeah, I mean, I'd just say, first of all, that I, I don't really care if people don't use the term Christian nationalism, because it's it's just a term that I I think accurately describes what I'm arguing for. And if they want to agree with, you know, the substance of my argument and yet not use the term, that's fine. I have friends who are just like that. and It doesn't bother me at all. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, well, I think the reason we're asking this question is that we're very early in kind of a positive case for it. So it's usually was a, a term of derision. It's it, uh, uh, at least within the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, you go back 50 or 100 years ago, it was actually a positive term uh, used. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, but in the last 10 years, it's been negative because the word nationalism is spooky and scary. And you attach Christian to it. It makes brings yeah. up theocracy and hand and stale and all that. So uh, it was just useful for the left to kind of paint any kind of Christian action as uh, this, quote, Christian nationalism. 
Um, so we're early. I mean, if you asked a question like, what, what is, what does conservatism mean? You know, and then mm. even then, what's the definition of that? Well, you got David French says he's conservative. Uh, and you also have people like uh, the late Roger Scruton um, who tried to find conservatism. So it's, we're, the, the point being is we have a lot of terms we use freely that actually don't have uh, kind of settled definitions. But anyway, to get to your question, um, I see Christian nationalism as a, uh, it's a, it's a Christian people or a Christian nation who understand themselves as such. So they say to themselves in, in a way, we are Christian. We're a Christian people. We have a heritage of faith. And they act in light of that. And they, they uh, insist upon government that reflects Christian values, Christian duties, Christian ends. Uh, and that, that's what I think Christian nationalism comes down to. So it's a self-conception of we as a people are a Christian nation. And in light of that, we're going to have law and we're going to have our social customs uh, that conform to that. Uh, and so the ism of Christian nationalism or the Christian nationism is not an ideology or something kind of spooky or fascistic or whatever people want to throw at it. It's really just saying, hey, we as a people are going to arrange ourselves in light of our understanding, in light of Christianity through law and custom. So that's that's basically my definition, and then I spend 500 pages trying to unpack it. Uh, <laughs> and you do a really good job of it, you know. In, in the current in the current context of the you know Donald Trump and his his uh, presidency and running for reelection and make America great again and all of this stuff, a lot of times say this phrase Christian nationalism or nationalism generally gets attributed to Donald Trump. Um, and I, I like how you in the books kind of kind of make a distinction between what we say is Americanism, if you will, and just Christian nationalism generally. You're you're not necessarily promoting American Christianity or Christian nationalism, right? I mean that's that's what I like about the book because a lot of people say, well, this is just another attempt to say America make America great again, right? Go back to our founding, uh, which. I don't think it's a bad idea, actually. But uh, if you would kind of distinguish the difference there. Yeah, that's very important. So I, I'm not uh, what I'm not saying is that America is this unique country to set apart, like as if it's a new Israel uh, that makes it God's country as opposed to England or France or whatever. So I'm not saying anything like that. The common kind of uh, I, uh, things thrown out by kind of the critics is just stuff I don't actually affirm. But yeah, it's a, for what is like 11 or 12 chapters in it, um, only about two chapters deal with the American context, whereas the rest is mm -hmm. just, just general theory of Christian nationalism. And it's mainly a kind of a discussion of the principles of it. And principles are things that can be applied in different ways, given the different circumstances. So like a Hungarian Christian nationalism is going to look different than a, a French Christian nationalism. Uh, the England has a tradition of an established church over kind of the, a national church. So uh, a, a, a British Christian nationalism would certainly include some aspect of the national church, whereas an American uh, Christian nationalism would include our our tradition of of religious liberty and disestablishment, um, or at least quasi. I mean, there's some you know there, there were some early establishments in the early republic, but they weren't certainly to the size and degree of say England and other places. But the point being is that Christian nationalism as a set of principles 
will it will be applied differently in different places, and that's perfectly fine. So it's so there's uh, I, I don't argue for a specific simply just an, an American Christian nationalism, uh, but that uh, there are these universal principles that are Christian that we can apply in different places in different ways. And and how would you define nationalism itself? I mean, I, I think in the yeah. book you talk about that we all want the best for the country. Is that how you would see it? Yeah. So what I try to do is I I, tr- I try to avoid the, the rabbit hole of what is nationalism. It's usually a debate that's you try to list a bunch of cases and then mm-hmm. that we want to say are nationalist. And then we try to find the commonalities and then we can develop this 10 point list of what nationalism is. And I tried to avoid that entirely. And I just said, what, what I asked the question is, what is a nation? Mm-hmm. Is what I started off essentially first chapter. What is a nation or second chapter or whatever it is? <laughs> I forget yeah. now. Uh, what, what is a nation? Um, and then, so nationalism ha- obviously has something to do with what a nation is. Uh, so what's the ism? And I just think of that as the, the nation, as a, a people saying, we're going to arrange ourselves for our good. Uh, so it's not militarism. It's not racial superiority. It's not some sort of ethnic, uh, I don't know, ethnic superiority or something like that. It's just a, a nation of people seeing themselves as a certain people who ought to act for their good. And I think in that sense, it's that's not controversial. Uh, so no. that's where I try to kind of steer nationalism away from kind of the, the scary historical elements to more towards this, I think, actually very classical, old pre-modern uh, notion of um, uh, a people seeking their good. So that's kind of how I, I see of nationally. It doesn't satisfy a lot of critics because they really, really want to paint my theory and any theory that would include the word nationalism as, you know, fascism 2.0 or something. Right. Like that. And white, they, they just they nationalism. Make, right. Yeah. They can't handle the fact that I didn't deny, like I didn't, I didn't go through this series of denials and, and uh, and talk about historical fascism and all that. So I just I just avoid that entirely. And of course, that annoyed my critics, but I don't care. Um, uh, it was just ma- mainly the emphasis on I think the importance of nationalism now is that I think we as especially in Western countries, we've we've lost kind of the will to live as a people. And it, there's like mm. a, almost like a self like a sort of suicidal like a national yeah. suicidal tendency. Uh, where we're we're kind of just in a way destroying ourselves from from within and from without, um, and the nationalism, I think, is an important corrective to what we're seeing, uh, and that then people can be more self-assertive as a collective group, as a nation, and resist these more destructive elements of their nation that that's coming from that's in and, and that's in it presently and coming in, um, and. Uh, like, 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 just France, for example. Like, you see France on fire in Paris. Mm-hmm. This is all self-caused. I mean, this is uh, essentially yeah. France allowing in people um, who uh, within group together, and they're different. And because they're different, it creates animosity and tension. And because they're not exactly historically French, they cannot integrate well into the economy and society. And so there's animosity and resentment. And this boils over. is all very predictable. is all, all very predicted uh, several times by people, uh, and yet France just continues it. Same with Italy, uh, other places as well. So it's, I think that the na- the nationalism as I present it now, is a good uh, is is necessary and corrective. That's going to help national survival. Well, and who doesn't want what's good for their country, right? I mean, <laughs> I would hope that everyone does. 
Of course, in America, it doesn't seem like that's the case as much anymore. There are people trying to tear us down. Um, you say in your in their definition, as best as you as you do it here, you say in order to procure for itself both earthly and heavenly good in Christ. Uh, I happen to believe what's great for a nation is Christianity. I mean, it's proven itself uh, over the years. And um, so, but I I do want to center in a little bit of our conversation on what you call cultural Christianity. Uh, This is one of the uh, areas where folks attack you on and say that uh, Christians aren't called to change culture. Uh, We're called to uh, preach the gospel. Uh, we're not given the mandate to change culture. How do you respond to that uh, that uh, concern or question? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor, you you you'd want a well ordered uh, society, uh, and mm-hmm. a well ordered society is one that is a, a Christian society. I mean, you could have you know somewhat well ordered societies that are not Christian. Um, but the best, the, the best, it's better for your, in a way for your, your neighbor to, to exist in this kind of nominal cultural Christianity than to live in awful, you know, secularist, um, pagan society. Uh, and, and that's just purely in terms of the earthly benefits, it's going to be better for you to live in a sort of Mayberry, you know, like a Andy Griffith show type, type setting, even if they're kind of nominal Christian than living in, I don't know, like modern day. Uh, uh, some modern day city um, or town, any town uh, in the United States mm-hmm. and elsewhere. So I think it's just a matter of of loving your neighbor. And at the same time, I think cultural Christianity prepares people for faith, just like in a family, right. in a family, uh, you, you may not, if so, if you're typically Baptist, you, you, you look for a profession of faith late, later on in, in life and then maybe baptized. Well, all Baptist households, they set up conditions within their family to kind of lead to that choice that lead to accepting Christ. So they don't keep religion away. And then all of a sudden, okay, now they're 12. Let's give them the gospel and see what they do. No, it's from very young age. They're attending all these things. I I think society can do that as well. Uh, And I think it's, it would be actually make the family a lot easier in doing its job. If your neighbors were not hostile to you, if your if your neighbors were perhaps nominal Christians, but at the same time you could trust them not to say that men could get pregnant or any sort of nonsense and absurdity, then you actually makes your job as a parent a lot easier. And uh, and yeah. so I I think it just, it just seems obvious to me. I understand the fear of hypocrisy, right? The fear of nominal Christianity, but there's just again there's the earthly benefits of just a stable orderly society and then there's the heavenly benefits of hey everyone around you is a, is a, at least is a not hindering at the very least not hindering your discipleship of your children and yourself as well um and then that right. allows you and others to then disciple them so there's i i just it just think seems obvious and you don't like what's interesting is my critics have actually been somewhat positive on that chapter on cultural christianity I mean, some have criticized it, but surprisingly, some people have said, yeah, Mayberry seems OK. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, I think uh, cultural Christianity would be would be a definitely good um, for for us to return to. But it also takes right. I mean, it takes a sort of self-assertive. No, we are a Christian town. We are a Christian state. We are a Christian nation. And if we're not willing to, to kind of put our foot down and say, no, that's who we are. 
then it's never going to happen. Uh, so the point being is it's not just going to happen by having well wishes in society. We actually have to say, no, that's who we are. And we're going to actually yeah. keep it that way. And it's kind of an amboth, right? I mean, you can't have a cultural Christian nation without the preaching of the gospel, right? I mean, the one can't happen without the other. You got to have people converted to Christ. Um, You know, we we talk about that, uh, you know, you have to change hearts and minds and the culture will reflect that, right? And cultural Christianity does set, create space for, as you talk about the, you know, uh, Christian religion. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, You talk about some of the things that civil government can do to promote Christianity. And this is where the rub comes with some folks. They don't believe that people should be coerced. And I don't either. And and I've read your book, so I know that you don't either. Coerced into believing Christ or converting to Christianity. Uh, What do you believe the civil government can do to promote? to promote Christianity without crossing over into becoming a state church, because that's where people will say, Hey, we, this is why we left great Britain. And, and, you know, we had the war of independence for an example. Yeah. I mean, first of all, no one and no Protestant, even, even people who you, we, we'd call persecutors like uh, Calvin, Servetus and others uh, that they, they, they all denied that you could coerce people into belief. So no one is saying, let's establish a law that mandates that you will believe in Christ. And if you don't, we'll throw you in jail or something. No one's saying that. I'm not saying that. Uh, it'd be wrong for me to say it in principle. I think in principle, a government can do a lot. So I think uh, mm-hmm. if England wants to have a national church, I think that's permissible. Uh, and, uh, and same with other countries as well. Um, but in in the American context, again, we have the re- tradition of religious liberty, and I think that's a very, I mean, we don't probably have time for this, but it's a very Protestant to be, have re- religious liberty is a very kind of Anglo, kind of a, like a, yeah, kind of an Anglo-Scottish type uh, tradition. And so that's, it's been weaved its way. Of course, it's fundamental to who we are as Americans. Uh, but I, I do think, nevertheless, there is room uh, for the government in the United States to do things that support religion in different ways. I think one would be Sabbath laws on Sunday so that people Mm -hmm. would be encouraged to then attend church and they wouldn't have the distraction of that. Um, It also means that people would have the temptation to work on Sunday. I mean, Oh, if I, I could be a waitress or something on Saturday and then instead they could go to church. So I think that would be, uh, and that, that, of course that was, there was, there been Sunday Sabbath laws for almost all of our history. So that's not right. Uh, another thing, um, Another thing would be, I, I think that if we're going to say that we're a Christian people and a Christian nation, then then public schools, for example, could have a certain role in in, in uh, a limited role in catechizing, not take over from the church, but kind of what a lot of Christian, like pr- private Christian schools do now. I think you could have, we could get to the point, I'm not saying enforce it right now. I'm saying if, if there's more, if there, if we have kind of a stronger sense of where Christian people I think public schools could have a role in religion um, with with kind of a, a limited role. Uh, and I don't think that violates the First Amendment. I think if you look at the the way that the First Amendment originally, and I think right. even to this moment in principle, it constrains the state or the constrains the federal um, government, not so much the states. So, right. And many of the states had state religion before the founding. So yeah. uh, 
folks, if you want to pick up this book, I, I very much uh, recommend it. Uh, and here's the thing. Maybe you've heard about, uh, you know, Christian nationalism and it's just been talked about in certain circles and what. And you've kind of come to the conclusion based on the stereotypes that it means something that it doesn't. Uh, the way to find out is to read the book. You know, <laughs> if you're a skeptic, you need to read the book before you make up your mind about it. And that's the thing. I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people hear the term Christian nationalism or nationalism. They equate it to Trumpism or make America great again or white nationalists or all whatever. And you have to be you have to read the book to understand it. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything here. But in order to engage in the conversation with your friends and coworkers and people in your church that this may be discussed, you got to hear from the people that are that are writing about it. And that doesn't mean you want to you should read the other folks as well. But you can pick it up by going to Amazon.com. Uh, you can pick up Stephen's book. You can also pick it up at the uh, Canon Press is the other place you can pick it up. Uh, uh, Stephen, I want to ask you about. Um, well, Mr. Bruce, put up put up the Great Commission because I wanted to read this. To me, it's like, duh. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, this is Jesus last words in the commission of the church. Uh, and, and he said, that, therefore, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, what? Obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you, even to the end of the age. Uh, you know, to me, this is this is as clear as day, right? We're, we're called to go and make disciples of the nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. That's cultural. That, that that's that's Christian nationalism, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean one thing to notice first of all, that, it, right? yeah. I mean, it it recognizes first of all that there are nations. So one of the yes. issues is, that are they real or not? Well, all nations. It's now people Bible's. say those are people groups, right? Yeah, like I I think they'd be like some kind of people group. I mean, it, they, they wouldn't be modern nation states and all that, but right. it's just they're just human difference out in the world, and of course there are just differences, and so. Disciple, so these these are real things, and yeah, that they would obey everything commanded you. Which uh, I think that once they, once you have kind of a sufficient number of Christians in a nation, then they begin right. over time saying we're a Christian people, and they ought to obey everything commanded, um, which is which includes the full moral law. Um, and so, right. the uh, yeah, and so th this verse, I'm, I I don't kind of exegete this text in, in the book, um, but. No. Yeah, I, I, this is my, my friends who are, are better theologians and biblical scholars will will kind of exegete this and unpack it uh, and make a case for kind of Christian nationalism through it. Also, I want to ask you about the, um, you know, what is the difference between, say, Christian nationalism and theonomy? I happen to think that they are one of the same thing. Is that right? What do you think? Uh, so. There are people who, who kind of who use the term Christian nationalism who are explicitly theonomists, and I am I am myself not a theonomist. Okay. I think by by probably secular secular. And if you would, can you just can you give us a definition or at least a working definition for that? Yeah, I mean, theonomy broadly speaking would be that the the Mosaic law in in the Bible mm -hmm. is should be the primary source, like the original source. 
of all civil law. And then there's debates among theonomists about exactly what that means and how that looks and how it'd be applied and all that. And there's people call themselves uh, like general equity theonomists and all that. Uh, but the idea is that the Mosaic law uh, is the original source. Whereas I would think that, I think that the Bible can inform civil law and uh, but it, ultimately the source is going to be natural law or the the, the original created moral law. Um, so that, I think that's more of a classical traditional position or the theonomy, I'd say, is more of a modern kind of 20th century position. But but that that's the difference. I think practically there's not a huge difference. It's probably more right. of a theoretical difference between me and them. Uh, uh, but uh, that's and yeah, I, I don't think they are the same terms, but. Uh... Also, you have people saying, well, you're just trying to establish a theocracy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, again, one of those spooky terms that no one yeah. really defines clearly. So do I want God's moral law to be to govern society? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, do I want there to be this sort of draconian moral legal system? No. Uh, do I think that we should take into account circumstances, characteristics of the people, historical um, understanding of itself as a people. And uh, then, yes, that's absolutely the case. Like I said before, you apply principles differently given the situation. Uh, I think we should be very particular and as Americans, be Christian Americans and, and uh, be or Christian or American Christian nationalists and mm -hmm. seek out, seek something that's within that's properly within the United the, the uh, American uh, political tradition. Another question that, that comes up in these discussions is how would a say Christian nation uh, treat religious minorities? Um, you know, those are there. Those are there. There's those out there who say, well, this would just punish them. <laughs> you know, uh, that's not what you promote in the in, in the book. Uh, but how would a religious minority in, say, America or any other Christian nation, if it were to be that way, how would they be treated? Yeah, in terms of uh, treatment, uh, the the I mean, I, I would just take like the 19th century or I mean, the 20th century United States, early 20th century, where people were, you know, Jews were were free to have synagogues and, and they vote, they 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 held office, all the uh, but. Everyone still knew that this was a Christian country and also specifically a Protestant country. I mean, Roman Catholics knew very well that they were in a Protestant country as well. So religious minorities were given freedom and they could participate in all aspects of society. But there still was a common conception that, wait, yeah, this is a Protestant Christian country. And, and the, the Protestants were, were confident enough to say, then that's, it's going to stay that way. Uh, I mean, there's a complicated history with all that, of course, but so I, I, I know, I know people have this fear because of course there is a, a long tradition of kind of persecuting non-Christians and also kind of minority Christian groups and Baptists are anxious about certain aspects of a Presbyterian like me talking about Christian national or Christian nations. Um, but I think that again, our, our own tradition is that we can have a confident Protestant country or a, or a confident Christian country, while at the same time extending the kind of the liberties to people who are not Christian. Um, so, I, I do think there are about I, compelling worships, throwing people in jail, you know, those right, types right. of things. 
setting up ESG scores against those who don't believe in Christ, that kind of thing, right? I mean, you're not promoting that or anything close to it. Yeah, there wouldn't be any sort of jail or yeah, what people cancel, would be in jail. cancel them on call yeah. with. Yeah, I I do think though that I, it's fair. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that if you're in a Protestant country, people are going to frown on, or if you're in a Christian country, people are going to frown on someone who's who's a, like an outspoken atheist or someone who wants yeah. to subvert that the the kind of the Christian foundation, the Christian self conception. Uh, but as, uh, if people live here peaceably and they don't try to subvert the kind of the the order of society, then they're perfectly free to. And and this was true for you know broadly speaking for for religious minorities in, in the country. So, but I, I do well, think I mean like if I, I went I, to Egypt right now and I lived in Egypt for a couple of years, I would feel a little bit separated or alienated from Egyptian culture for obvious reasons because I'm not Muslim, right? I mean. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, a natural I mean, that's, that's outworking. That's kind of an analogous analogous situation where they you have a self confident Muslim nation, and uh, I, I know there's some persecution kind of under the law or outside the law that happens in these places. But in but in uh, the, the sort of Christian American Christian country, I'm I'm con- thinking of, it is a self confident Christian country. It 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 will kind of um, uh, kind of dis- it'll it'll uh, it'll um, I guess look down upon anything that would subvert that, but mm-hmm. still at the same time not actively seek to persecute people who are you right. know, in themselves don't not the same. So, do you think that would alienate people from coming to Jesus, or it would it compel them to look into the claims of Christ? Because I think a lot of there are folks out there that say cultural Christianity is just going to create a bunch of fake Christians, and then those who are non-believers are going to be kind of left out in the cold and and they won't be reached with the gospel. Yeah, I think that's kind of this modern concern uh, that uh, is not historical because there was, I would say that it was it was Christianity's confidence in itself in places that led to people converting. Uh, it, it wasn't this, um, like you just say- so like, You I mean, describe to the opposite happening because I hear that from folks saying, when things get worse, people turn to Christ. And I'm like, well, no, I go to college campuses and things are so bad right now. They don't, they are not open to the gospel. When we can't even define what a woman is, uh, they're not going to be open to what Jesus said about marriage. (laughs) They're not going to be open necessarily to what God said about male and female. Uh, It seems like they've closed their minds. And as things get darker, it's harder to reach people, not easier. Uh, so I don't know. That, that's yeah, one of I the mean, critiques I, I hear. Well, I, I just say, yeah, this again, cultural Christianity kind of makes it so that the central issue is you exercising true faith in Christ. Whereas now you go on a college campus, you got, you got to do, you got to start from the very basic, which is that, you know, man cannot get pregnant. So, you know, because I mean, you can, you can, you can go to accept Christ and, and then they say, well, but then you're going to, I'm going to have to then discriminate based, you know, of transgender people. And so you have to deal with a lot. Uh, whereas in cultural Christianity, it's, it's you saying, Hey, you affirm all these things already, but now you need to actually uh, have true faith. So, yeah, I, I just think it's like, people want to say, well, the gates of hell will not prevail against, you know, the kingdom of God. They, they want to say that, but that's but historically it's, it is the case that that severe persecution has eliminated uh over time the the church in different places of course the church on earth is perpetual will always exist and um 
until Christ comes again, but but there have been severe persecution has essentially wiped out the faith in certain areas before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, one would be the example of 17th century Japan is kind of the classic example of where there was kind of a thriving uh, Christian communities in different places in Japan. And then they just put their kind of hammer down and it essentially was eliminated within a couple of decades. Um, but anyway, the, the point being, I think, I, I think it's a, a very modern notion that if we are, if we're very, if we don't have kind of this public, like if we lack public confidence, that makes the gospel more attractive. Whereas I think actually having public confidence in our convictions to see the world uh, in in line with the moral law and to see the kind of the fruits of that, that I think actually is more compelling in an earthly sense, not a spiritual sense, but an earthly sense that's more compelling for people to become um, Christian than actually seeking our own kind of persecution and my guest today is Stephen Wolf, and uh, he is the author of this book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. And I recommend it to everybody listening or watching the program today. You can pick it up on Amazon.com or on the Canon Plus website. And if you're listening to this and this is, uh, you know, kind of piquing uh, some interest, uh, you know, I just exhort you to read the book. And, you know, in in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, uh, we are exhorted to be good Bereans in that we should examine the scriptures to see what is true. So just don't listen to one side of this debate, friends. I mean, listen to both sides. Make up your own mind. That's what I'm doing, and I exhort you to do. That's what this program's all about, presenting the information, not being too biased on one side or the other or falling for stereotypes or are using straw man arguments to try to defeat your opposition. That's not what we're about here. So I exhort you to get this uh, this book and read it. Uh, Stephen, I, I know we're running late here, but I, I, I have one more question for you. I, I hear this as an argument. People will say, oh, you know, Christian nationalism has been tried and it's failed. Uh, and they'll point to, you know, Constantine or Charlemagne or, you know, those types of examples. How do you respond to that? I, I don't know about you, but if you want to consider America was once a Christian nation, I don't think we failed too badly. We've existed for over 200 years uh, and, and there's been a lot of good that's come out of this country. But how do you respond to that? That's been tried and failed and it won't work again if we try it again. Yeah. Um, well, I think that we we have to keep in. I mean, we have to first of all think of well, what's what's the alternative? I think you mentioned this mm-hmm. earlier. Is it? Yeah. W- what we're seeing is kind of this. We're seeing a type of nationalism at work right now. The elites pushing a certain yeah uh, bizarre bizarre rights. You know, uh, R I T S bizarre uh, uh, morality uh, pushing just utter absurdity upon us. And this is actually. This this comes after the United States, uh, the uh, Americans um, essentially stopped thinking of this country as a Christian nation. I mean, the fact of the matter is we thought of ourselves as a Christian people up into the 1950s and 60s and beyond. And it wasn't until I'd say the 70s, 80s, and now we're seeing the fruit of it. We've actually uh, completely abandoned uh, that I, that uh, notion or conception of ourselves. And so really the absurdity that we're seeing is essentially the downfall, the fall of uh, Christian America. Um, and so you, you, we're seeing the alternative occur right now. 
it is it is true that in the past there have there are examples and uh, broadly speaking things were not always pretty uh they were not perfect um but i think that's just simply that reflects the the fallen world that we're in so i think we have to be realistic about what we can achieve uh what we will achieve um nevertheless i think in terms of alternatives it's much better to have a a christian people with Christian laws, with with Christian self-conception, Christian social customs. And I think we, we would all prefer that. It's interesting, like I mentioned earlier, that the cultural Christianity chapter that I was actually praised by even like a lot of my critics, um, but they don't seem to realize that, that that takes this kind of self-confidence. It takes a, a sense that we are, that's what we are, and that's what we're going to be, and we need to recover that. Um, but I do think it's it's a legitimate uh, objection, like oh, you know, we've tried it and it's failed at every time. But I think again, we have to consider uh, first that nothing's going to be perfect, and we ought to strive for the perfection. But we know it's going to be imperfect, and things are going to be messy. That's politics. But again, what is the alternative? The alternative is mm-hmm. the utter absurdity that we're seeing right now. It's the, it's the the, right. the descent into this kind of mad neo paganism mm-hmm. um, on the left. That's being imposed upon us uh, from above. Yeah, and pagan I think that, nationalism. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially right. like a sort of pagan, weird. I mean, it's I, I don't know, like even the pagans of old would find some of the stuff <laughs> utterly absurd and bizarre. Um, but we, that's what we're descending. I mean, it's almost like a sort of post-Christian paganism where it has uh, some signs of Christian morality abused with added absurdity, and uh, so. Anyway, again, I, th- I think it's a matter of what what would you prefer? Would you, would you prefer to live in the ideal of a, of a type of Mayberry society where it's high trust, it's Christian, um, not perfect? Um, or would you prefer to have a neighbor whose kids are purple haired and confused about their gender and now hate you because mm-hmm. you're... So I, I, I think, yeah, that, that's, that's the question. It seems... Um, pretty obvious to yeah. me. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I hate to keep you, but I, I actually do have a, a one more question. I, no, I, fine. I, I don't want I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of eschatology per se, but I think it does animate our worldview. And I happen to not follow the futurist viewpoint that we're living in the end times and that, you know, things are only going to get worse. I, I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible teaches it. Uh, I think that does have a lot to do with your viewpoint on this topic. Uh, could you speak to that just a bit? I, you know, I'm not out to alienate people who have different eschatological yeah. viewpoints because I think you can be a Christian nationalist and you don't have to be, you know, X, Y, or Z when it comes to eschatology per se. But in some ways, you know, you do kind of line up, <laughs> you know. Uh, I happen to believe that things will get better towards the time of the return of Christ. That doesn't mean it's always going to get better or it's going to get better from here forward. I think history ebbs and flows as far as better, whatever that means, you know, that more Christian, less Christian. I happen to hold to that view, but that doesn't mean things are only going to get better. I just think towards the end when Jesus returns, I think we're going to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's what I believe. Uh, There are those who believe something very different uh, but they tend to fall into these camps when it comes to this topic. Uh, again, this may this is a big big question, but and I don't know if you want to go there, but I'd have I'd be interested in see your hearing your 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 viewpoint on that. 
Yeah, I, I get this question a lot. It's um, I I decided to actually approach it from a different angle, away from kind of the question of eschatology. Yeah. So you'll notice in the right. book, I think I mentioned near the end, that I actually kind of avoid the whole topic entirely. Uh, and this is it's because I it's a instead of a work I say it's instead of a work of Christian political theology, it's Christian political theory. So it has more of a philosophical yeah. foundation to it, um, yeah. and, or me- methodology to it. And so I, I just think that uh, that we as hu- Christian human beings um, can order our society uh, and politics according to God's moral law. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't focus on kind of the eschatological folk, uh, part of it, um, but but I, I I would be more like actually all millennial, optimistic all millennial. People are surprised by that; they assume I'm mm. a post millennial. And actually, I, I'd say with among people who are are in this kind of my camp it's kind of a split there's and uh uh yeah there's all mill and post mill people kind of in the, the and i think there's some pre mill people too which is weird but as i mean it's interesting i guess but um yeah i i just think like my my view is regardless of your eschatological view if 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 we're actually going to bring about a christian nation christian nationalism it's going to require us to actually bring it into existence. I mean, there is, of course, the, the, the preaching of uh, the, the, the preaching of the word from the pulpit that can, that converts hearts. But at the same time, if, uh, as, if, as I presented, if it's a matter of law and custom and the people kind of conceive of themselves as Christian, that requires us to have the confidence to say, this is who we are. It requires us to say, mm-hmm. we're going to enact law to that end. It requires us saying, these are going to be the sort of, this is the sort of way of life that we have. And that's us having kind of the will to say to make that happen. Um, and so whether you're all mill or post mill or pre mill or whatever, you want to see a Christian nationalism, a Christian nation, we have to, uh, I mean, by the grace of God, it's still the human, like it's still us saying we're going to make it happen. I think sometimes there's, there's a tendency among like maybe post mill people and, and others to, to think that it's all just going to kind of happen spontaneously from just simply the work of the spirit apart from mm-hmm. the human will and human action. And I think there's a kind of cooperation involved here where there is the grace of God that, uh, that changes our hearts, uh, that sanctifies us, and that leads us to will what is good. And I think that's – so I don't know if I'm answering your question directly enough. No, you, you are. <laughs> it is. I think, I, I think the, the big hang-up is not us kind of getting our, our eschatology all lined up properly. I think our problem is just the lack of saying we're going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and when you make it, when you God. say make it happen, you don't mean imposing it. You mean, you know, in a, in a representative government, we we have to win elections. We have to promote the right people. You know, we, we do still have to win hearts and minds. Right. I mean, that's part of it all. Uh, that's what yeah, we do well, here. Created equal, of course. Right. Yeah. And I, well, and what I, what I meant, what I mean to say is that we still have several states in this in this country that w- in which most the majority are Christian or at least identify Christian in the sociological sense. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of, I think, persuading those people to say, hey, it's not just um, kind of voting these like single issue kind of votes, but also we should think mm-hmm. of our state as a Christian state. We should, we should mm-hmm. think this is how we want to understand Texas, we, how we want to understand Louisiana or North Carolina or wherever as this state uh, despite what's happening in Washington and the, and the, and the coasts, this state's going to be 
a Christian state according to the heritage of faith of America. Um, so it's a matter of convincing those people to have the confidence to do that. Because I think that that's one of the problems is we we can't organize and 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 conceive of ourselves in that way. And uh, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, not imposing. It's not as if it's like this Bolshevik revolution where where it's like a minority that suddenly imposes communism upon everyone uh, or imposes Christian nationals upon everyone. It is still an organic um, kind of grassroots effort in which people will recognize the need for this and the good of it as well, that it it is a proper response to moral insanity. uh, Mm -hmm. That's been kind of, in a way, I mean, I know I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but the, that's okay. In, in a way, in a way, we are the America is like in a sort of occupied. We're like we're occupied Great. by a foreign empirical power uh, that controls. I mean, it's hard to think of it this way because the, you look at Washington and they're Americans. They're kind of one of us. They seem to come from us and all that. But it is in a way analogous to an occupation where they yep. come here and they say we're going to change everything about your way of life, the way you think, your religion. Uh, we're going to kind of subvert everything that what made you who you are. And so there's a kind of that center, which is kind of uh, New York and Washington, and they impose that upon us as if they're occupiers. And uh, I think that's a good analogy to hopefully wake people up and thinking, no, wait, we have to, we have to, as Christians, oppose that and uh, use the, the federal, the, uh, the federalist doctrine, uh, the constitutional doctrine of federalism to use state power in opposition to some of the kind of insanity, insane things coming from the American regime. Right. And I, I, I often refer to us being in a land war, uh, not a guns, uh, you know, bullets, tanks type of war, but where we have divided states, free states, slave states kind of a setup now. Mm. And we have to look at the, you know, how we would actually make advances, how we might need to strategically retreat in order to, you know, consolidate our resources so we can advance once again. So I think that's, you know, you and I think very similarly on that. Uh, my guest has been uh, Stephen Wolf. He's the author of this book right here, The Case for Christian Nationalism. And friends, if you have any curiosity about this topic, it's been, you know, talked about in, in a lot of Christian circles online and, and in, your, in your churches more than likely. You need to pick up the book. Be a good Berean and search the scriptures to find out what is true. Don't just believe what you hear on social media or, you know, in your little your chats or whatever you talk about with other folks. Uh, get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And, and, and Stephen's really written, I think, uh, an excellent book here. It's going to challenge you. It challenged me for sure. And you're talking about a guy who's a court, cultural warrior, has been in this battle for 20 years or more. So, uh, uh, Stephen, thanks for being on the program, friends. You can pick up the book at Amazon or Canon Press. Um, Stephen, again, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Stephen Wolf, author of The Case for Christian Nationalism. Uh, be a good Berean. Search the scriptures to find out what is true. And when you hear this word or phrase being used or bantered about. Now you know, if you've listened to Stephen, you got it from the source. Uh, One of the main proponents of this concept of uh, Christian nationalism, and also look at the other side, those who are opposing it, and make up your own mind 
I find it extremely stimulating. I, I love politics to begin with and political theory. So uh, I think Stephen's a bright mind, but, you know, maybe we don't agree with everything on it that he that he proposes. But there's a lot of good there. And I think we need to be those who are trying to figure out what to do as we go forward. Uh, without vision, the people perish, right? So anyway, go and pick up his book at Amazon or Canon Press. To wrap it up today, I want to talk again about this August 8th election, this special election, which we are facing here in the state of Ohio. Uh, on August 8th, uh, we have an opportunity to raise the threshold to amend the Ohio Constitution to 60 percent. Currently, it's at 50 percent plus one. And we're working hard to get out the vote. People can now uh, go out and vote in the early voting centers. You can vote by absentee ballot and you can vote on Election Day here in Ohio. So if you live in Ohio, make sure you get th- get this done. Vote yes. Vote yes on issue one on August 8th or before uh, with early voting. Uh, So that's important. Why? Because we don't want out-of-state special interests and money interests buying a piece of our Constitution. We need to protect it. Uh, The Constitution in Ohio or anywhere else is not a policy document. uh, that uh, That's left for the legislature. When it comes to issues like abortion, for example, or minimum wage or gambling or marijuana or any number of issues that are considered more policy making decisions, uh, those should be left to legislatures through their uh, through their constituents to decide. And so we need to 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 defeat this on August 8th. Uh, I'm sorry, we need to we need to win on August 8th. I'm even confused um, so that we can defeat the amendment that will likely be on the November ballot here in Ohio. And if you don't live in Ohio, you can still help out. And that is you can send us a gift at Created Equal by going to createdequal.org slash donate. And you can help support our door-to-door canvassing, which we are currently doing. Uh, our displaying of banners on overpasses. By the way, I'm going to be on the road next week uh, doing that with our staff and interns. We're also doing uh, public outreach in public squares in cities across Ohio. And, of course, we're deploying our LED video screens. So you can help out, whether you live in Ohio or not, by giving us a gift at createdequal.org. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.